Welcome to Impact, a podcast ministry of St. Andrew Lutheran Church in Middleton, Wisconsin. Impact features interviews with gifted Bible teachers that will help you better understand Scripture so it will have a greater impact on your life. The host of Impact is Mark Jenstead, the Staff Minister for Nurture at St. Andrew. Hi, everyone. It's great to be with you wherever you may be today. I'm confident that God will bless this time you are spending with his powerful word. Let's start by thanking God for that word. Dear Father, thank you for your word, which is our guide, our strength, and our only hope of salvation. Give to us a greater understanding of your word so that it has a greater impact on our lives. Amen. Thank you, everyone, for listening. I'm grateful that you are here today. And if you say a prayer for this podcast ministry, I would appreciate that as well. Today, I didn't have to travel very far for this episode, just down the hallway. My guest is Pastor Randy Hunter, the lead pastor here at St. Andrew in Middleton. Welcome back to Impact. Glad to be here. It's great to have you with us today. Uh, We're going to talk about Ephesians chapter 5 with Pastor Hunter, the... The heading for this section in Ephesians is Husbands and Wives. So that's what we're going to talk about today. And I'll get Pastor Hunter's insight on these important verses from the Apostle Paul. Pastor, before we get started too far, not everyone listening today to this podcast is married. And some listening may never get married. Why should they keep listening? Hmm. Well, first of all, if you're not married, you are uh, as much and fully redeemed by Christ as anyone who is married, and God has given you a a life by which you can honor him fully. However, the reality is that about 90% of Americans will be married at one point in their lives, and uh, so even if you're not married, this might be something you listen to and tuck away in your head, and it it helps you as uh, perhaps marriage ends up on your horizon someday. But, you know, even if not, still, uh, single Christians I know want strong marriages. They want the people around them to be, uh, they have godly, uh, God-honoring marriages for many reasons. One, it honors God. That's, that's enough. But two, uh, you know, if you're a single guy, you don't want your married friends crashing on your couch because he's in an argument with his wife. And if, if you're a single woman, you don't want a married man taking off his wedding ring and trying to... Uh, hit on you. Uh, You want marriages strong all around you. And uh, so I I believe single people want this as much as married people. How long have you been married? Uh, 37 years. Very good. I I imagine since you've been a pastor for 30 some years. Six. Yep. Okay. 36 years. So how many marriages have you presided over? Yeah, that's a tough one. I have not kept track. I wish I had in a way. Probably uh, oh, somewhere around 150, I'd guess, based on averages. There's that. And then uh, one of my joys has also been to teach marriage across the country. And as part of those marriage enrichment weekends, I include a renewal of vows. And uh, so that number would be well in the thousands then of people who've renewed their vows at a marriage enrichment weekend. Wow. And you say across the country. In, in fact, you've went as far as Alaska to do this. Yes, these are uh, marriage enrichment events that are available for churches around the Synod, around the country, and uh, Canada. Um, sometimes groups of churches, 
areas, regions, and sometimes individual churches. How did this come about, that you found that you found this to be kind of a niche in your ministry? Yeah, I, I never wanted to be a marriage guru, and I'm not. Because if you're a marriage guru and you do something dumb, your wife can say, and you're the marriage guru? <laughs> so, so I don't want to be a marriage guru. I want to be a Bible teacher. And I saw an opportunity, a niche for teaching the gospel uh, through marriage. And that's how it got started. All right, very good. So we'll... Uh... I guess lean on pastor's expertise and, and his insight here from, from what Scripture has to say about marriage, and we're in Ephesians chapter 5, and today what we'd like to do to start, folks, is uh, pastor and I are going to read this section, and then I will ask pastor the questions. So we'll start in Ephesians 5 at verse 22, and uh, we will read this for you, alternating by paragraph. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church, without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Okay, Pastor Hunter, uh, first question. I don't know if, if this is a good place to start, but I guess this is where we're starting. What, is, what, what can be fixed that goes wrong with a marriage? What can be fixed with God's word? Yeah, I saw that. What a great question. Um, first of all, you know, to, to just begin with the assumption that there's no relationship between human beings that's greater or more important than marriage. So it's worth it. Right? Luther said something like that. That isn't the exact quote, but that there's no relationship between human beings. Of course, our relationship with God is first, but between human beings, it's greater or more important than marriage. So you know, what, what goes wrong with a marriage that can be fixed? Well, you could also ask what goes wrong with a marriage that can't be fixed. And then the answer is nothing. Within uh, the bounds of Scripture, um, you know, we have to understand that Jesus did give um, the teaching that uh, unfaithfulness is uh, breaking the covenant in such an egregious way that he doesn't hold the offended person liable for staying in that marriage. Uh, that doesn't mean that uh, husbands and wives can't forgive each other even after such a breach of covenant. But Jesus said that's not necessary. And then the Apostle Paul added, if an unbeliever leaves, let him do so. And so sometimes that means somebody just ups and outs and leaves. Sometimes, uh, and frankly, more likely, I think uh, one person may make it so difficult for the other through abuse or something like that that uh, he or she just can't stay in that marriage. So, you know, given those outs, um, you, you know, what can't be fixed with God's word? Well, nothing. 
you know, the little things in marriage that tend to build up that cause the division or different goals, different ways of communicating, conflicts that build up uh, trust issues, and maybe trust gets worn down, different ways of looking at money or sex. Those are all easily, in my mind anyway, easily handled uh, when you come to the conclusion that uh, we're first going to go to Christ, and we're going to ask him to help us put this right, and we're going to listen to him then I don't think there's anything that can't be fixed. And by the way, when you talk about marriages uh, failing or that need to be fixed, uh, sometimes people throw out the the uh, figure of 50% of all marriages end in divorce. Well, you know, statistics can be used in any number of ways to say what you want to say. If That story is told on the edges. So you get to the edge of, uh, of uh, say, say, people who... Um, drop out of high school, are pregnant, and then get married. Well, their divorce rate is is very, very high. I think somewhere in the 90% range. And then you go to the other edge, uh, people who get an education, get a job, um, have a church, have an intact family that they come from. Well, their rate of divorce is very, very low in the 10%. So yeah, you could say on average 50%, but nobody's average. So we have to be careful how we use those statistics about, about failing marriages. When you go and lead a marriage retreat, is, is it more about fixing marriages or is it more about maintaining a healthy marriage? Yes, that's a great question, too. Uh, both. There are people who come to a marriage enrichment weekend who tell me at the beginning, if this doesn't work, we're going home and getting a divorce. Now, that's a little pressure, right? But it's not pressure on me. It's pressure on the on their putting on the Holy Spirit and themselves to listen to what God has to say and apply it. I think many people are, are, are just comforted to know that they're not alone in a marriage struggle. Uh, in fact, there's no two people who are compatible. There's no... No two people ever get married who are totally compatible. That's just a, that's a myth, that if I could find someone who's totally compatible, my marriage would be perfect. Well, you're looking for yourself. And if you just found yourself, you'd probably kill each other, because uh, that, that wouldn't work either. So then there are reasons we're not compatible. Um, we're fallen creatures. So we have a sinful, selfish nature. Just deal with it. Anybody you marry is going to have that. And we change. The person you married was one way when you got married, but if you've been married 5, 10, 15, 50 years, you know you've changed. And uh, so to say now we're not compatible would be to continue to change marriage partners throughout your life, and that would just be devastating. Pastor, what does a healthy Christian marriage add to the proclamation of the gospel? And then I suppose the opposite is true. If it's an unhealthy Christian marriage, that is kind of a, a... what do we call that? An unhealthy Christian marriage, an oxymoron. <laughs> but that that can detract from the proclamation of the gospel. Yeah. But start with the positive. Sure. Well, you, you have our marriages, our Christian marriages, are a picture of God's covenant with us. His is perfect, and it's one way, and it's grace. And now we take that covenant that he's made with us and try to reflect that to each other. Uh, that's the purpose of our marriage. That's what, what. That's how we're going to go about this. If we flip it around, say, for example, I tell my children, here's God's promise to me, and it'll, he'll never break it. Now, I made a promise to your mother, but I'm going to break it. 
I, I've just I've just nullified our marriage as a picture of the gospel. So the gospel saves us and shows us how to be married, but then marriage shows our trust in the gospel. Pastor, we started this section with verse 22. I'm actually going to go back and read verse 21. I want to ask you a question about that. Uh, verse 21 says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So when we use that verse and we start there, what does that verse add to the teaching directed to husbands and wives that follow in starting at verse 22? Yeah, it tells you the importance of context in uh, Bible reading and Bible interpretation, huh? Uh, Verse 21 is at the end of a long list. If you look, uh, if you have your Bible open and you get to uh, Ephesians 5, 18 to 20, it's a long list of, of ways that we show ourselves to be filled with the fruit of the Spirit, that we're singing, that we're being thankful, that we're praising God. A long list. And then he gets to this. Now, here's another way. You submit to one another. So, so the writer Paul is assuming that both spouses are being filled with the Spirit. And that's how we're going to be able to do this. Uh, to say that uh, you know marriage is two really needy people finding fulfillment in each other is is not biblical. We're finding our fulfillment in Christ, and then we're looking to show that to each other. And we don't always do it perfectly, of course not. Uh, but we know where we need to go to get filled up, and then go back to each other. So you know, you only if you've learned that um, can can you serve others with the power of the Holy Spirit and can you face the challenges marriage offers? In verse 22, wives are told to submit to their husbands as to the Lord. In a perfect world, this would be easy, but husbands and wives are sinful, yet this can still work. Why? Well, it has to do with understanding what that word submit means, for one thing. It does not mean forced or inferior, that Paul is calling wives in some way you know, inferior to men. Of course not. The Bible doesn't teach that at all anywhere. And this isn't a forced kind of submission. It's a, it's a different—the word means that you're equal in value, but you're choosing to put the other person first. Equal in value— but you choose to put the other person first. And that's exactly what Jesus did. John 6, 38, Jesus said, I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. So Jesus submitted to the Father, not because he was inferior, but because he chose to. Uh, I suppose some other thoughts on uh, submitting would be to understand what it is not. Uh, submitting does not mean you agree with everything he says. That's not true of a Christian wife. Submitting does not mean you leave your brain at the altar or you avoid every effort to change him. In fact, that may be your strategy to change him. Submitting doesn't mean you never uh, that you, that you put what he wants ahead of Christ. That's never true. Submit does not mean uh, that you get your personal spiritual strength from him. Certainly doesn't mean that you act out of fear. None of those things. It means simply to choose in your own mind to put the will of my spouse ahead of my own. Paul goes on to say that the husband is the head of the wife. Tell us why or how that half of the verse, the husband is the head of the wife, is so easily misunderstood. Well, you know, same way you need to understand what the word submit means and doesn't mean. You need to understand what the word head means and doesn't mean. 
Um, we hear the word head, we might think boss. Well, it doesn't mean the boss. You're not the boss of me, right? You know, when you cut the head off, what do you do? You, you cut the life off. So head here means, in a way, a, a life, someone who gives and makes life better for this person. Um, that God is, uh, let me back up, a, a good head, even in earthly relationships. Um, a good leader, if you can even use that word, doesn't just stand around and give orders. It doesn't make unilateral decisions without consulting others. A good head, even in your corporate life where you live or, or work, is someone who listens, someone who helps, someone who guides. Uh, so that's a, you know, there are different ways to understand. We want to make sure we get the right understanding of the word head. And of course, the best way is to go to Jesus. We want to see how Jesus is our head. You, you see how he's engaged with us, how he sacrifices himself for us how he shows unconditional love for us, how he treats us with tender kindness. And you see Jesus acting as our head and husbands, that's where we get our cue for how to act like a head. Is it fair to say a head also, a good head also recognizes need? Of course. That, that describes Jesus, right? He knew our greatest need and it wasn't for a better haircut or a nicer car. Our greatest need was for the forgiveness of sins. Jesus, our perfect head, acted to provide that for us. Paul has directions for husbands. He says husbands are to love their wives as Christ loved the church. What is Paul getting at with that description of a husband's love for his wife as Christ loved the church? You know, the world is never going to get this, but we Christians do. There's a uh, there's an inextricable connection between, is that a word? Inextricable? Inextractable. Sounds In, good. Yeah. There's a strong connection between marriage, Christian marriage, and my Christian faith. It's, it's not exactly the same, but there's a strong connection. The good news of what Jesus has done saves us and shows us how to be married. Christ is our head. We put him first. Husbands learn from Christ. Wives learn from Christ. So the gospel saves us and shows us how to be married. And then marriage shows our trust in the gospel. How we live this out shows our trust in the gospel. So there's a strong connection that can't be uh, ignored. And there's no, yeah, there's no way we can teach this teaching from the Apostle Paul on Christian marriage and talk about Christian marriage with simply words, submit and head. And, and wives submit, husbands, you're the head. Um, if we eliminate Christ and the church and that relationship between Christ and the church, this just doesn't work. But if we keep Christ and the church in there, it's a beautiful relationship. Yeah, it's uh, so much more about where you go to church after you're married or what building you get married in. It's so much more than, than that. Paul writes, he who loves his wife loves himself. What does that add? Yeah, think of your health. It, you'd call it the foundation of your life, wouldn't you? And you can have all the money in the world, but if you don't have your health, you're miserable. You can be famous and gifted in certain ways, but if you don't have your health, you're miserable. Um, marriage is like the health of your body. It's just the way God made us. It's that big. It, you make marriage a sidebar to your life. Like, I'll try and fit it in, you'll be miserable. It's, marriage is too big. It can't be a sidebar. It's the health of your life. 
In verse 31, Paul quotes Genesis 2. And this verse is called the institution of marriage. Uh, What is the reason that this passage refers to in verse 31, going back to Genesis 2, for this reason? He could be referring simply to that institution of marriage. That That would be grammatically correct. He could also be referring to everything he's written about marriage. Uh, both for husbands and for wives. You know, this this covenant of marriage is is that big. It it helps us see that love is not just what I get, but love is what I give up. That's Christ again. It takes us back to Christ, showing us love by what he was willing to give up. And uh, th- that we see married love as that, as a as a covenant. You know, the, the gospel covenant is a blessing for me now. I have the forgiveness of sins now, and I live with God now. And the gospel covenant guarantees my future, heaven, eternity. Well, the marriage covenant is a covenant that that is good for me now. My wife and I enjoy great benefits because of these promises we make and keep to each other. And we'll enjoy these great benefits in the future. Um, Now, that requires certain things. That requires saying no to certain things now in order to have greater blessings together in the future. And that's that's a key difference, isn't it, between living together and being married. Uh, If you live together with someone, uh, that may seem a, a way of happiness, but you have no guarantee of the future. You have no commitment for the future. Uh, what I've told people who are living together, oh, I see. Uh, so you're just uh, waiting until a better offer might come along. Now, that's offensive to some, but that truly is uh, the possibility. You have no covenant that relates to your future, whereas our marriage covenant tells Karen that Randy is the one who will be there in the future, and I know it. But living together doesn't do that. Pastor, you said at the beginning there that uh, marriage is just as much about what I give up as what I get. That, that sounds like a key teaching point in a marriage retreat, is it not? It's a countercultural, isn't it? And it's what the gospel does for us. The willingness to put the other and the other's happiness ahead of my own. Um, that's only going to come from Christ. It makes no sense without Christ. I did a lot of coaching uh, in my previous call, Pastor, and I would tell my players a lot that a simple, a simple formula for success in basketball or baseball is input equals output. So we have all these drills day after day after day, and I'd tell the players, as much as you put into these drills, that's what we're going to get out of the drill. As much as you put into it, that's what you'll get out of it. As much as we put into it, that's what we'll get out of it. And I would tell them that that formula, input equals output, works in other areas of their lives. Schoolwork, relationships, marriage. Isn't that true? What we, what we put into it, what we'll get out of it, is that, is that fair to apply that to marriage? You're a marriage coach. That's, that's, that's a great marriage coaching analogy. Uh, in fact, I routinely tell people who come to me for marriage counseling or at a marriage enrichment class that I'm teaching, this is your work, not mine. It's your marriage, not mine. I'll coach you. I'll help you. But you have to do the work. And frankly, it is work. And some people say, I'm not going to do the work. But to those who do the work, it, it definitely is worth it. And, and, you know, it's not just work. It's a couple receiving the means of grace together. 
sitting in church together, hearing the gospel together, receiving the Lord's Supper together, being in a growth group or Bible study together, discussing the Word of God at home together, those couples are building their marriages. That's the input. That's the input. Why can we say, Pastor, that these Ephesian verses are not out of date? Well, they're still heard at every wedding. Uh, uh, routinely, couples ask, oh, could, we, could we delete these words from our wedding service? And with some, uh, with, with some help in understanding them, we never do, of course. But I might need to explain to the people who've gathered for the wedding service what this word submit means and what this word head means. So instead of just reading the text, um, you know, I might take a moment to explain it. But but culture has has even already taught us that it's not out of date. 66% of unhappy married adults who avoided divorce or separation ended up happily married five years later. Two-thirds. Happily married five years later if they stuck it out. Uh, individuals who were continuously married had 75% more wealth at retirement than those who never married or divorced and didn't remarry. So oh, I could give you a bunch of statistics, of course, about children, too. Every teacher knows those. The, 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 the truth is we've been sold a bill of goods about divorce, how it doesn't affect people, how it's better for us in many ways. Simply not true. God's way is best. And there it is in Ephesians. Are there other verses, Pastor, that can be used to further understand what God says about marriage and how marriages can thrive and, and be what God intends them to be? Sure. You know, and, and most of the verses in the Bible that, uh, that I believe apply to marriage uh, don't necessarily talk about marriage. Don't, I, I mean, there are those that specifically speak to marriage. Hebrews 13, uh, let the marriage bed be pure. 1 Corinthians 6, 1 Corinthians 7, 1 Peter 3, Genesis 2. You know, there are places that specifically speak about marriage, but there, there's hardly any place in the Bible that doesn't talk about our response to God's love for me by how we love one another. Uh, Philippians, I'll just list a few of them. Philippians 2. Um, 1 through 4, it concludes with, Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Well, that's, that's the marriage covenant. Romans 15, 1 to 3, um, We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. We all go through seasons when we need to lean on each other. In a good marriage, you can do that. Uh, Galatians 5, 13, uh, Serve one another in love. 1 Corinthians 13, of course, the great uh, you know, love chapter. None of those are specific to marriage, but all of them teach us how to be married. In your experience, Pastor, who struggles more with this teaching? Wives or husbands? Yeah, um, I do. I do, I'd, I'd say. And I, I hope every Christian spouse would say that. Uh, psychologists tell us that... Uh, Men probably struggle more with uh, distancing themselves, stonewalling, removing themselves from conversations or emotions with their wives. Men seem to struggle with that more than women. Women seem to struggle with a critical attitude, um, condemning their husband's uh, character or attributes. Women seem to struggle with that more. But that may just be a factor of the way we were raised or the culture we live in. I just hope every Christian spouse says, I'm the one who struggles with this. Um, 
That's what it is to be a Christian, right? Uh, My life is not Christ. My life doesn't look like Christ. My life looks like someone who needs Christ. And that gets me to the gospel. And only the gospel is going to give me the strength to, to reflect his covenant with me by the way I keep my covenant with my wife. Our whole conversation here, Pastor, has been helpful. Uh, undoubtedly, there are folks listening today, uh, a husband or a wife who, who is uh, in, a, in a marriage that is struggling. Given a minute or two, Pastor, what, what would you say to someone who, who is looking for guidance from you to help their marriage? A minute or two, huh? Okay, so, so the elevator. Uh, maybe a, a help in determining why are you married? Why are you married? It's not just a human arrangement. This is something God gave you. And in a good marriage, you, you can work on being the kind of friend who's helping your spouse through the trials and challenges of life to the ultimate goal of standing in glory before Jesus. Marriage isn't a sacrament. I know that. Marriage isn't a means of grace. But marriage is a way that two people can help each other through the trials and tribulations of this life to the ultimate goal. We're going to stand in glory before Christ, whatever it takes. And sometimes that's easy. Sometimes that's hard. You know, in James Joyce, uh, Ulysses, uh, Ulysses is sailing past the island of the sirens and their beautiful song that lured the ship to the rocks. He, he lashed himself to the mast so he didn't do something stupid. And he told his sailors, no matter what, what I say, just keep sailing right past the sirens. Well, sometimes that's the way it is in marriage too. You got to lash yourself to the mast and say, I'm not going to fall for that until sanity re- returns The new man, the new self takes over and God gets his way with us and then we go on our way again. That can be done. That can be done for anyone. Okay, last question. And uh, this is not directed to Pastor Hunter. This is directed to Randy Hunter. Uh, You said at the beginning you've been married for 37 years to a wonderful lady, Karen. Uh, Can you tell us how you maintain a healthy marriage? Yeah, by the grace of God, I I think I can say that. By Karen's uh, patience and grace and forgiveness for me, uh, it takes two people who are willing to say, Jesus, you're first. And that's going to show by the way we live our lives of uh, hearing his word, receiving his sacrament, making it a part of our home, making it a part of our conversation, going to him in prayer together. But it's not just that. It's Then it's then it's the day-to-day stuff. It's, uh, it's how we talk to each other and how we... How we, uh, the kinds of things we do for each other that demonstrate our love. Love is the actions of love. It's not just an emotion. So it's this, it's this grace of God that comes to us through his word and sacrament and then shapes the ways that we treat each other. We have not figured out a way to do that perfectly, but so far God has uh, used his word to allow us to do that in ways that continually strengthen our bond. All right. Very good. Thank you, Pastor, uh, for your time and your insight today. And let's uh, do this again sometime. I'd love to. And thank you, folks, for listening. May the peace of God that passes all understanding guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. Thank you for listening to Impact, a podcast ministry of St. Andrew Lutheran Church in Middleton, Wisconsin. Our email address is impact at st-andrew-online.org. Please tell your friends and family about Impact and pray for this ministry. Impact is new every Monday and all past episodes are available. The better you understand scripture, 
the greater impact it will have on your life.